coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning Parareality Radio. Good evening, everybody. My name's Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next two hours tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Those of you who will be listening to this live broadcast, well, it's a day late Due to technical difficulties, had to postpone the show a day late. So, sorry about that. That's how it goes sometimes. So, it's Saturday, June the 3rd, 2017. And, of course, it's that time for the first live show that I've done in quite some time. And it's, this is the first episode that I've done live in, in man, a very long time. And... I know that no one may actually be listening since you're all used to a pre-recorded podcast format, but I don't care. I'm doing it live anyway. So in celebration of my return to live shows, I've decided to do a countdown of my top 20 all-time conspiracy theories. They may not all be in your top 20, but why don't you just see what theories of yours make the list. And before I begin, um, well, first of all, before I say that, let me let me tell you how you can get in contact with me because there's a few different ways that you can go about doing this. For those of you who um, are longtime listeners of the show, you will know what I am about to say here. So, First of all, you can send me an email. The email address is sandman at parareality.com or you can uh, just uh, follow me on Facebook or Twitter if um, you don't want to send me an email. You can message me on Facebook or Twitter. If you're going to be following me on Facebook, just look for sandman.parareality or just go do a, a search for uh, Parareality Radio. I have a a sandman.parareality page and which is more like a personal page and then I have a show page for uh, Parareality Radio so you can do either one of those or both you can like please like my page everybody that seems to be a big thing these days so I'm asking you please like my page Parareality Radio when you're there on Facebook and if you're going to follow me on Twitter you can follow me at Radio. that's at P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-R-A-D-I-O, all one word, at Parareal Radio. And, of course, you can always call me on the studio line here and leave a message. That number to call is 615-692-1170. That number to call, once again, is area code 615, then dial 692-1170. Just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show if you choose to leave a message. If I don't answer, you can call this number 24-7. You, you, you never know that you, I'm, you may get me because I'm always in the studio working on, on a show, so you may get me. I may actually answer the phone, but chances are I probably won't unless I'm doing a live show. So if you uh, call the studio line and leave me a message, just be aware that just simply by leaving me that message is giving me permission to play your question or comment or whatever back on the air. So if you don't want it played on the air, you need to tell me, hey, do not play this on the air, and I won't do it. So there we go. So those are all the different ways that you can get in contact with me. 
So as I was going to say, before I actually begin getting into the uh, top 20 conspiracy theories, or my top 20 all-time conspiracy theories, um, I, you know, if you've been a long-time listener of the show, you know that I'm always evolving and changing the show format in one shape, form, or fashion. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that traditionally... Uh, set me apart from other paranormal talk shows like this. Well, first of all, I don't think there is another one like this. But what has set me off, I believe, or set me apart, I believe, from other paranormal talk shows is that I've always played some rock music like during a break or whatever. And especially when I was doing the live shows all the time on Live 365. And... One of the things that, uh, oh, there's my creepy clock is about five minutes behind schedule. I got to fix that. Uh, one of the things that, that I liked about Th- Live 365 whenever I was on it was that it gave, it covered licensing to play music. And so I always played music because I, number one, wanted to do something that no one else was doing. And number two, I, you know, doing a live show when it's a two hour long format, you do need a break. You know, just to, uh, you know, go to the bathroom at least or get something to drink, something like that. So playing a, you know, a three to five minute long song and a couple of spot commercials or whatever during that time, you know, it always gave me anywhere between a seven to, uh, you know, ten minute break that I could do those things. And um, when I left Live 365 back in January of 2009, I thought, oh, well, I'm retiring, you know. And um, when I came back to doing it because I, doing this because I missed it so much, I decided to come back in, in a podcast format because, let's face it, podcasting is all the rage. But one of the things I continued to do was keep playing music. And unfortunately, that made my podcast illegal because I'm not covered under licensing fees and I knew that but I said you know what I don't care I'm going to continue to do it anyway because it's one of the things that set me apart from other shows and I believe was directly responsible one of the reasons for making me um um so popular you know and so I continue to play music but unfortunately because it's illegal it's really limiting the exposure that I can uh, gain from it because uh, places such as uh, Stitcher um, iTunes stuff like that they do not uh, condone doing illegal stuff such as playing music so in an effort to try to make my show more widely available on larger formats instead of just restricting myself to um, Spreaker alone, uh, well, Spreaker and Facebook, um, I am no longer going to be playing music. Um, as much as I hate to say that, I love playing music. Um, like I said, I think it's always been one of the things that helps set me, set me apart from other people who are doing shows of this nature. And it did give me an opportunity to take a little bit of a break because I was doing a two-hour long format. But 
<clears throat> I'm going to be working around that. I'm still going to be doing two hour long shows for, for the time being. And I'm still going to have a little bit of a break, although it will not be as long of a break and it will not, um, have music. So I hate, I hate to say that, but that's, um, that's how it is. That's how it's going to be, at least for the, the foreseeable future, unfortunately. So, uh, I see, I don't have anyone in the chat room yet, but that doesn't mean that there's no one listening live. Um, who knows? Maybe someone will decide to, uh, join me in the chat room or not. <laughs> if you're listening live, uh, you're obviously listening on Spreaker if you're listening live. So, uh, you know, jump in the chat room and uh, give me a chat up and see if I can get back to my old ways where I used to uh, chat with people and uh, do the do the show all at the same time. So with that being said, before I run out of time completely, let's get right into these top 20 conspiracy theories. My list, my top 20 all-time conspiracy theories. You know, I was going to do 30, and then I was like, oh man, because there's a shit ton of conspiracy theories out there way more than 30 and i started out to do 30 and i was like oh that's too much i'm not going to spend you know be able to spend as much time on these as i wanted to so i i knocked it down to 20 and um some of these things i'm going to talk about a little bit longer than others Uh, i do have a couple of of clips um that i'm going to play to you when it play for you whenever it comes to some of these theories uh i've talked about a lot of these on on my show over the years and the clips that I'm going to be playing are uh, clips from stuff that I've done here on the show. And there's only just a couple, so it's not like there's a lot. So let's get right into it. Let's start off with number 20. I'm going to start with 20, work my way down to number one. So number 20 on my top all-time conspiracy theories is the peak oil conspiracy. Peak oil is the supposed peak of oil production during and after which demand for oil will supersede the supply and it's going to send prices through the roof. The peak oil conspiracy theorists believe that peak oil is a fraud concocted by the oil industries to increase prices amid concerns about future supplies. The oil industry is aware of vast reserves of untapped oil but they don't utilize these untapped oil reserves in order to maintain the illusion of scarcity, so the conspiracy theorists claim. Now, I do have a little personal story about this. Um, About uh, probably 11 or 12 years ago, um, I was uh, on an airplane uh, flying back to Nashville from uh, a trip that I had to Las Vegas, Nevada. And there's this gentleman sitting next to me and he was reading this book about uh, how to drill for oil, how to locate um, caches of oil and, and how to go about drilling for them and so forth. And I was, you know, how you're just sitting there on the plane and, and you got nothing to do. And you kind of look over and see the title of the book this dude's reading. And I was like, man, that's heavy material. What, why would you be reading something like that? You know, and 
it turns out that he um, worked for Halliburton. And one of his jobs, one of the things that Halliburton does is they drill for oil. They have oil wells. And his job for Halliburton was to um, find um, caches of oil, find spots to drill for oil. And the book that he was reading was a guy who was well-renowned in the oil industry. And um, he said that part of what was in that book was the man was saying that he estimated that we only had 40 years of oil left on the planet. And like I said, that was about 11 or 12 years ago. So we're hovering right now somewhere around 30 years of oil left on the planet, which means that uh, in our lifetime, we're going to see the end of oil, if what this man was saying was true. And if it is true, you just never really stop to think about how much we depend on oil. It's not just for putting in our engines for our cars and and uh, lawnmowers and, and uh, motorcycles, airplanes, and, and stuff like that. The petroleum which is made from oil, is used in so many things. This seat that I'm sitting in probably has petroleum in it. The seat that you're sitting in probably has petroleum in it. The bed that you sleep in at night, the mattress probably has petroleum in it. I mean, it's going to change the way that um, the world lives if what he was saying is true. And, you know, 30 years from now, um, ooh, I guess we'll see. We'll see. So that was number 20, the peak oil conspiracy. Number 19 is HARP, H-A-A-R-P, HARP. More than 200 miles east of Anchorage, Alaska, is the Pentagon's high-frequency active auroral research program, or HARP as it's affectionately known. It's officially an enormous experiment to heat the ionosphere with radio waves. But conspiracy theorists believe that the project is a weapon to bring down aircraft and missiles by lifting sections of the atmosphere up, causing earthquakes or even a huge weather modification machine. And that's one of the the top theories is that it is a huge weather modification machine. Now, over the years, um, HARP has uh, been rumored to have been uh, abandoned as far as a, a research project has been deactivated, but has it really? Uh, the government, I believe, would say yes, but the conspiracy theorists who are all over HARP, they're still harping. <laughs> I get it. They're still harping that, you know, it's it's uh, still in use, as, especially as a, as a weather modification machine. I've been asked to do um, an episode on HARP, um, and I, I've looked into it, and it's really, really complicated, and it's not that I can't tackle it. It's just that I just never really was that interested in it. So I don't know. Will I ever? Probably not. But still, it is, it's is—it's been circulating around um, for years and years and years about the dangers of Harp and that it's actually a weather modification machine or of some sort of other super secret weapon. So there's been so much talk about it, especially on the Internet, that I could, that there's no way that I couldn't include it on my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. 
number 18 is one that um, people really don't know that much about. Uh, you had to be like super deep into the conspiracy theory world uh, to know about this one. And number 18 is the North American Union. The North American Union, or NAU for short, is it's a theoretical regional union of, get this, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, similar in structure to the European Union. Sometimes, including a common currency called the Amero. And theorists who believe that the three countries are planning for this believe that it's part of a global conspiracy to set up something called, and you're going to get a kick out of this, the New World Order, or NWO, right? Illuminati shit. Uh, officials from all three nations, of course, have repeatedly denied that there are plans to create an NAU, although the idea has been proposed in academic circles, believe it or not, either as a union or as a North American community as proposed by the Independent Task Force on North America. The Amero, the currency, it even received support in 1999 from Canadian economist Herbert Grubel, who was a senior fellow of the Fraser Institute think tank. Um, he wrote a book called The Case for the Amero. Um, the vice chairman of the Independent Task Force on North America, Robert Pastor, he supported Grubel's conclusions in his own book in 2001 uh, called Toward a North American Community. He said that, and I quote, in the long term, the Amero is in the best interest of all three countries. And i got, I got to say, I have not read either one of those books, but the idea is very fascinating, and I can't see how having an Amero, one currency for all three nations, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be a bad idea. It certainly would help freaking... Mexico for sure and maybe it would even help stem illegal immigration if they had this if their currency over there was something that was the same as it was in America and Canada who knows but it's a very interesting theory so let's see checking the chat room and of course no one's in the chat room probably because there's no one listening live but I don't care I'm going to continue on still going to be able to download this in a podcast form people it's all right. Number 17, Pan Am Flight 103. Pan Am Flight 103 was Pan American's third daily scheduled transatlantic flight from Heathrow to New York's uh, John F. Kennedy International Airport. On uh, December 21st, 1988, the aircraft that was flying this route, a Boeing 747, was destroyed by a bomb. And this killed all 259 people on board. It too also include 11 people on the ground. The remains landed around Lockerbie in uh, southern Scotland. And a popular theory, for which I have to say no evidence has been produced, it suggests that the, the uh, Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, had set up a protected drug route from Europe to the United States allegedly called Operation Coria, C-O-R-E-A, Coria, which this allowed Syrian drug dealers to ship heroin into the U.S. using these Pan Am flights. 
The CIA allegedly protected the suitcases containing the drugs and made sure they were not searched. On the day of the bombing, terrorists exchanged suitcases, one with drugs for one with a bomb. Another version of this theory is that the CIA knew in advance this exchange would take place, but they let it happen anyway because the protected drugs route was a rogue operation and the American intelligence officers on the flight found out about it and were on their way to Washington to tell their superiors. So you got kind of one theory with two different branches going off there. You know, <clears throat> not unplausible. It's definitely something that sounds very much like something the, the CIA, the, uh, the United States government, would do. But is it true? There's Once again, there's absolutely no evidence to support this theory, and I, I don't even know where the theory came from, but it's been around... <clears throat> obviously a long time since right after the damn thing happened in 88. Um, but it's plausible. There are some of these theories, you know, that the plausibility of it eh, is kind of iffy. You might could say that this was an iffy plausibility, but definitely plausible nonetheless. <clears throat> so that moves us to number 16, which is the Philadelphia Experiment. Now, this was popularized by the Charles Berlitz novel of the same name, The Philadelphia Experiment. Conspiracy theorists believe that during an experiment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in October of 1943, a long time ago, the U.S. Navy destroyer Eldridge was rendered invisible for a short period of time. According to some accounts, the scientists on the experiment found a way to bend light around an object, but somehow this experiment went wrong, and the Eldridge was actually transported through space and time, reappearing at sea. Now, it's said that several sailors were badly hurt when the experiment went wrong, and some were even melded into the ship's superstructure. Of course, the Navy has denied that the experiment ever took place, and they always will. There's a movie about it, the Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, I've never seen it. I know you're like, holy shit, Sandman, I can't believe that you've never seen that movie. Well, I just, I, I never have. I've never really been that interested in it. And, it, you know, those people who, who, people who really, really know me, or if you've listened to this show for for any length of time, you know that I am like a big history buff, especially World War II. Um, I am, uh, I call myself an amateur expert on Hitler and the Nazi party. Um, I know that makes no sense, but whatever. Um, but people would say, well, you know, this was back during World War II. Why don't you have any interest in this? And the answer to that is I really don't freaking know. I've just never had any interest in the Philadelphia Experiment. I, one day I'll watch the movie. I've got to. Um, read the book, I doubt, but watch the movie, sure. I'll watch the movie. So that was my number 16, The Philadelphia Experiment. And speaking of World War II, that segues perfectly right into my number 15 
out of the top 20 conspiracy theories of all time, which is Pearl Harbor. Now, theorists believe that President Franklin Roosevelt provoked the Japanese attack on the U.S. naval base in Hawaii back on December the 7th, 1942. He knew about it in advance and covered up his failure to warn his fleet commanders. The theory goes that he apparently needed the attack to provoke Hitler into declaring war on the U.S. because the American public and Congress were overwhelmingly against entering the war in Europe. Theorists believe that the U.S. was warned by the governments of Britain, the Netherlands, Australia, Peru, Korea, and even the Soviet Union that a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor was coming and furthermore that the Americans had intercepted and broken all the important Japanese codes in the run up to the attack. Now, I've known about this theory for a long, long time, especially being the amateur World War II, you know, uh, Hitler and Nazi party expert person that I claim to be. Um, And for the longest time, I thought it was complete BS. I I refused to believe that a, a, a sitting U.S. president and yet alone the the government would let something that atrocious happen. But the more I have dug into it and the more I found out about it, there is overwhelming evidence that this not only is a plausible theory, but it's very well likely that it did happen. Now, there is overwhelming evidence that the United States did intercept those Japanese codes and break those codes and knew full well in advance that there was going to be an attack. The people who defend this say that they, the American government did not take this seriously. Hint, hint. Does that sound like anything else that might have happened sometime in the future, way after Pearl Harbor in 1942? Has echoes, right, of uh, 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 its foreshadowing. But I I really think that there's uh, strong evidence that this actually probably might have been the truth. And Eisenhower really needed it to motivate the American people to get behind going to war. Sounds real familiar, doesn't it? All right. Number 14. Elvis faked his own death. Uh, What can I say about this? There's been a persistent belief that the king didn't die way back in 1977. And many fans persist in claiming that he's still alive, uh, that he went into hiding for various reasons. And this claim is allegedly backed up by thousands upon thousands of so-called sightings. The main reason given in support of the belief that Presley faked his death is that on his grave, his middle name, Aaron, is spelled with only one A, A excuse me, that his middle name, Aaron, is spelled as, uh, this gets so confusing. I did a show about this, what was it, last year? Uh, 
it's it's very fascinating. So, but there's a plausible explanation for this. That his middle name, Aaron, A-R-O-N, is spelled as A-A-R-O-N. But A-A-R-O-N, the spelling of Aaron, is actually the genuine middle name for Presley. Apparently, either he or his parents tried to change the name to Aaron to make it more similar to Presley's uh, stillborn twin, Jesse Garen Presley. And two tabloid newspapers ran articles covering the continuing life of Presley after his death. Did it in great detail, including a broken leg from a motorcycle accident, and all the way up to his purported real death in the mid-1990s. Now, actually, I kind of misspoke. He did actually change his name, the spelling of it, and that's why it's like that on the the gravestone, I do believe is how the story goes. Um, There's even um, one guy who purported that Elvis Presley was, not only was he still alive, but that he was uh, a groundskeeper at Graceland. And that he had uh, uh, video camera footage to prove it. And there there it is, pictures, several of them, of this overweight gray-haired guy with a ponytail and a ball cap walking around on the grounds of of Graceland. Now to me, it didn't look anything like Elvis Presley, but this guy was like this is Elvis. Um if that really was Elvis, why the hell would he want to go work as a groundskeeper at Graceland? The one place where if he's going to be recognized Someone is going to recognize it. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I do believe that this theory is complete crap. Elvis Presley did die in 1977. He was totally and completely unhealthy. He weighed uh, 250 pounds. He was taking so many drugs, especially drugs to help him sleep, all these downers and, and all these narcotics. And... Uh, Unfortunately, what these things do is it slows down your gastric motility and it causes you to be constipated. And so he was extremely constipated. He was having to take uppers speed to wake up in the mornings, downers to go to sleep, and pain. He was taking painkillers. And and of course, Elvis did, you know, famously um, was an honorary uh, member of the. DEA and he was totally dead set against drugs but to him the, he was not abusing drugs he was not a drug addict because these were prescription drugs that were prescribed to him so why should he worry about thinking that you know he was doing something wrong when in reality he was a dopehead but I digress. So the, all the, the narcotics and the downers that he was taking slows down the gastric motility. He can't poop, and he gets constipated. And I forgot how many uh, pounds, but the the coroner that did the, the autopsy said that there was, I forgot how many pounds of, like, white clay poop in his colon when he died and there were doctors in Memphis who knew this man had a bowel obstruction 
but refused to operate on him because they were scared that if something went wrong and he died, that they would be forever known as the man who killed Elvis Presley. So in a roundabout kind of way, all of those doctors who refused to operate on him were directly responsible for killing Elvis Presley. And it wasn't just one, it was several. So all of these doctors were directly responsible for the death of Elvis Presley because they refused to operate on him. Now, isn't that just a stroke of irony? I mean, you know, uh, and of course the way he died was also very undignified because he was sitting on the toilet trying to take a shit because he was constipated. The official uh, account said Elvis went into the bathroom to quote-unquote read. In other words, he was trying to take a shit. So he had this some sort of astrological bullshit book or whatever in there. Uh, he was all into astrology. And one of the things that happens whenever you um, strain really hard to take a poop is uh, as you make that that push to push it out, especially when you can't poop and you're straining really hard, is that it lowers the blood pressure drastically. <coughs> And believe it or not, this is quite a very common thing. I see it all the time in my profession where people's, you know, the last thing that they do in life is take a shit and they die. And it's because they're pushing so hard to straining to, to poop that their blood pressure drops so rapidly that it causes what's called a vasovagal response and they pass out. And if you've got a bad heart, or if you're otherwise just generally overall unhealthy on top of that, that can be it. That's Katie barred the door, all she wrote. That's all it can take to, you're dead. Happens all the time. It's not uncommon. Um, Now, he wasn't sitting on the actual commode when he died. It looked like he had taken like a couple of, he'd gotten up and taken a couple of steps forward and then like pitched forward onto the, the floor uh, he vomited. Um, I don't think he aspirated because he was face first on the floor, so that kind of rules out any type of aspiration that might have occurred. But he might have um, lowered his pressure enough and caused some sort of vasovagal response that uh, he, he just uh, vagled himself into a massive MI and died. Um, I don't think that there's anything to the uh, theory that he lived past, um, you know, 1977, like uh, all the conspiracy theorists say that he did. Um, Checking the chat room. Of course, there's no one in the chat room. So if you want to, if you, if you do happen to be listening and you don't want to chat in the chat room, that's super cool. I got it. Uh, Give me a, give me a, give me a tweet at Parareal Radio. And, uh, yeah, nobody's tweeting either. That's okay. I said, this is the first live show I've done in years. Um, you guys aren't used to having a live show. But when you download this and you listen, you're like, holy hell, he was doing a live show. I didn't know that. Well, now you do. So I'm going to try to start doing more and more of these live shows as I can. 
And by the way, if you are listening and you don't want to tweet and you don't want to join me in the chat room, you can always call me on the studio line live here on the air. I know if you're not going to join me in the chat room and you're not going to tweet with me, you're damn sure not going to call. But maybe someone would want to. The number to call is area code 615 692 one one seven zero. That number once call is one. That number to call once again is area code six one five six nine two one one seven zero. And it is uh, Skype. It's a Skype number. Uh, I'm also on Skype, and that's Sandman Para Reality on Skype. Or or you can just look up uh, PR Radio. That's actually my uh, my username is PR Radio on Skype. Um, you can chat with me there as well. I gotta start letting people know that I'm on that I'm on Skype, so you can Skype me and all that other sorts of stuff. You know, you learn as you go, right? So let's see what number was that? Fourteen. Holy crap! All right, so we're now on number thirteen of my top twenty all-time conspiracy theories. So number thirteen is Lady Diana was murdered. So why won't this one go away? It's the same thing as with Elvis. Why won't that one go away? Well, why won't this one go away either? Despite an official inquiry that found no evidence of a plot by MI6 or any other entity to murder Princess uh, Diana and uh, Dodi Fayed in 1997, this fevered speculation continues to this very day. So the theory goes like this. Uh, rogue elements in the British Secret Service decided that Diana's relationship with Dodi Fayed was a threat to the monarchy and therefore to the British state. A plot was then hatched in which a white Fiat Uno carrying agents from the government, specifically MI6, it was sent to blind and disorient the driver Henri Paul as he sped through the Paris underpass pursued by photographers. So they knew photographers were going to be there because photographers followed her everywhere. So they just joined in with the fray, right? Really no need to do any really clandestine thing. It's just one more group of photographers, right? And after the accident, later on, Paul's blood was switched with a sample of somebody else's blood who had been drinking a lot of alcohol. So, what's the trouble with this theory? Well, there's there's actually a lot of trouble with the theory. The main thing being that there's not absolutely not a shred of evidence that exists to support this thing. Now, there's not a lot of evidence to support a lot of conspiracy theories either. This one, I... Once again, I... It is plausible. How plausible is it? Eh, I don't know. Um, I don't keep up with uh, what's going on over there in Britain. You know, um, that's not something that I do. But is it plausible? Yes, it is totally and completely one hundred percent plausible. I am having all kinds of computer problems here all of a sudden. What is a going on with the computer? Holy heck! Okay, well. Appears that the mouse on my computer is frozen. I don't know. I uh, don't know how I'm going to fix that because I kind of need the mouse here to be able to do 
several things. <laughs> this is going to be a this is going to be interesting. Yep, live shows, man. Got to love these live freaking shows, don't you? So, uh I'll figure it out as I go along. I'm good at at, at multitasking, I think. Well, maybe not. Let's see here. Oh, okay, here we go. So, I can use I can I can scroll with my Uh-oh. Is it working now? Hell no. Oh my god, what's going on with this thing? All right, so as I try to fix this, I'm just going to uh, continue to talk here. So, what was that? Num- that was number 13. <laughs> number 11, number 12, excuse me, is the black helicopter phenomenon. Now, this concept became popular in the American militia movement. Oh, I got my mouse fixed. And in the uh, in associated political circles in the 1990s as an alleged symbol and warning sign of a military takeover of part or all of the United States. Rumors would circulate that, for instance, uh, the United Nations patrolled the U.S. with black helicopters or that federal agents used black helicopters to enforce wildlife laws. Uh, it, there's even a theory over in Britain uh, known as uh, phantom helicopters, and this has been reported since uh, the mid-1970s. Uh, this concept uh, relates uh, that, that phantom helicopters to, to UFOs and alien invasions rather than to martial law. And this also made its way over here to the United States over the last couple of decades as well. And now that's really more of what the black helicopters are associated with is with um, men in black type type deals um ufo sightings uh abduction cases stuff like that uh, there's even been purported of of black helicopters in areas where like sasquatch has been reported to have been seen and all that sort of stuff indicating that it's some sort of government involvement with cryptozoological creatures and that they know these things exist and blah 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 um i've never seen a black helicopter now, when I worked for the government back in the 90s, um, I had a top-secret clearance, and I got to work around a lot of uh, helicopters in my duties with the government. And I can't talk about um, everything that I did. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, can, I can't really talk I can only talk a little uh, about very little of what I did, but I was around a lot of, of helicopters in my duties, and um, the the branch of government that I worked for was specifically the army, and the the uh, army uh, post that I worked on uh, was where all of the helicopter pilots get their initial training. And uh, it also trained uh, all of the um, um, AH-64 Apaches um, for a little while back in the early 90s when they were still flying the Cobras before they phased them out and went exclusively to the, the Apaches. They were doing Cobras and everything on there. So all, all of all of the uh, the pilots were getting their, their training, all the wartime training and stuff. 
uh, to fly these these assault ships. And I, I worked around so many helicopters that I could tell you what kind of helicopter it was just by um, hearing the sound of the rotor blades, uh, which any good person will be able to do. Um, now, I, I, I never saw any black helicopters. And, uh, now, I did hear um, some helicopters that were flying around out there that uh, I couldn't couldn't distinguish but that doesn't mean that it was anything other than a helicopter that i didn't know what it was because uh, i wasn't an expert on every freaking helicopter that, that flew and i couldn't tell you this you know just from the sound of every helicopter but most of the army ones i could um but i would think that if there was going to be be a a a, a black helicopter um and people were going to get trained on how to fly that sucker that um it would have been where i was back in the 90s and um i don't think that um that was the case i've never seen a black helicopter uh, doesn't mean that they don't exist it just means that i have never seen a black helicopter so speaking of the government and and stuff like that of course a lot of these are government conspiracy theories right but speaking specifically of the government here that moves us Right straight into the number 11 conspiracy theory of all time out of the top 20, which is AIDS. The fact that AIDS was invented by the government and unleashed upon the world. And this is based on the theories of Dr. William Campbell Douglas. And many people believe that HIV was genetically engineered in 1974 by the World Health Organization. Dr. Douglas believed that it was a cold-blooded attempt to create a, a, a killer virus, which was then used in a successful experiment in Africa. Now, other people have claimed that it was created by the CIA or the KGB as a means to reduce world population. There's also theories that say this is a virus that was created by the New World Order to reduce world population. Uh, of course, there's also the theories that that say that it was a virus created by the government to uh, kill the the black man, the black population, or to kill the gay population, because you know that's how it first got its start was mostly in homosexuals. Um, there's just all kinds of of theories out there about uh, what AIDS or the HIV virus initially was, what was its intended use, and how did it get released into the population? Was it something that was done deliberately, or was it something where it was done accidentally, or what happened? How did this happen? Well, it just so happens that all the way back in my first year of broadcasting, way, way back, um, what was this, around 2005-ish, 2004-ish? Anyway, all the way back in the first year that I was on the air doing, doing my show, um, 
I had the very first in-studio guest ever to appear on the show. It was actually two people. Uh, they were both former Marines, and uh, who both of these guys were in uh, were were in the in the Corps, active duty um, for the first go round of the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. Um, one of them uh, saw action in Somalia and some other places. Um, he was uh, uh, he used the, a weapon called a saw, which is some type of machine gun. I'm not a Marine, so I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what a saw is. But uh, he went and did a lot of clandestine missions, and he was saying how his unit would get activated, and they would get them on a plane. They wouldn't tell them where they were going. They would get them on a plane, fly them somewhere for hours upon end, sometimes you know over 24 hours before they would reach their destination. They would land. They would get off the plane, immediately be escorted to helicopters and be flown to someone else. They would get dropped off and say, okay, this is your mission. You're give them a map. They're going from this spot to this spot, and you're going to kill these people, and you're going to come back. And that's what they would do. And he said they never knew, really, most of the time, where they were at. They just knew they were going to go and they were going to kill these people. And he said the reason I did that was because, you know, if you decided later on in life that you wanted to talk about some of the things that you did, you couldn't really give, you didn't have accurate information, so you couldn't really give all the info, which makes really good sense. Um, but anyway, these two guys were former Marines, and, and they agreed to uh, appear as guests on the show. And they wanted to remain anonymous, so they went by the names Horse and Zorro, which apparently uh, was, um, man, I want to say it's what they were called in the Marines, because all the Marines have nicknames, but I know what these two guys were called, because in, in when they were in their corps and they, in the corps and they told me but anyway they came up with these names themselves so whatever horse and zorro right so um anyway zorro was the one who went on a lot of these clandestine missions and and stuff like that and the man called horse the man known as horse um his job was a little bit more um uh, subdued let's say than than that but um, they were talking about all of the um, when when their units would get activated and they would uh, have to go on these missions or especially ones overseas they would get uh, shot up with um, a concoction of whatever kind of inoculations that the Marine Corps was giving them. And every time their unit got activated, they would get shot in the arm with these things. And Horse was saying, uh, he told me an instance where his unit got activated like three times within a week, but they never actually went anywhere. They just got activated, went where they were supposed to go, and then before they were they were supposed to fly out, they were told to stand down. Well, this happened like three times in a week, something like that, and they got inoculations all three times and people were saying how oh man you don't need to do this because we just got it and they're like no we're going to do it to make sure everyone gets it you know just redundancy blah blah blah. that's how the government operates so he has all the symptoms now of gulf war syndrome and they're actually thinking that gulf war syndrome 
is probably a result of all these people getting these inoculations over and over and over and over again, which kind of makes sense. Uh, they were they were given experimental drugs, which uh, of course you know they um, or said he did he did not take, and a bunch of the other people in his unit did not take. Uh, the government thought they did, um, so it, they were kind of spilling the beans on all these experimental drugs and and you know uh, the way that they were things that they had to do as far as medical stuff in the Marine Corps. And, and, and I know you're you're thinking, what the fuck does this have to do? With AIDS, I'm getting to that. So, <clears throat> the guy who is known as Horse, he told a story all the way back on my first year of broadcasting about how he came into uh, not possession of because he did not steal these, he did not take possession of them, but he saw papers that came to be on his desk in the place that he worked about the AIDS virus and how it was created and, 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 and everything. And let me tell you, he was really extremely nervous about telling this. He had to really be coaxed into telling this tale. And, and this was live on the air. And I thought this was like a, a groundbreaking uh, thing. Um, now, let me tell you, it, it was big. Uh, he, he had to kind of be coaxed into doing this, and and I will say I am not ashamed to say this: there was alcohol involved in this. You know, we I got him pretty plied up. He and he and Zorro both, you know, they were nervous about being on the show, so they had some booze, and I was like, "Drink your booze, go ahead." You know, I gave him some booze, and and uh, there was some alcohol flowing, and I think that's really the only reason why Horse came out and told this story. Uh, so I have a clip here of actually what he said uh, way back then. And I think it's like about a three-minute long clip that um, I'm going to let you listen to. And now just remember, um, he what he was saying occurred all the way back in the 90s. He really has no proof of this. Um, he had to make a choice. He could either try to steal this document or leave it alone. And he chose to leave it alone. Uh, so, anyway, this is Horse with uh, what he was uh, saying about how he found out about the AIDS virus. Now, the document that I saw mm-hmm. was not in the documents I needed to have read for my particular duties at that time. Right. However, it was in a folder that matched the documents. I did, so I checked it to make sure it wasn't something I was supposed to have been doing. Okay. In case that wasn't in my stack of, you know, procedure. Right, just doing your job, in other words. Exactly. However, what I saw was something that said a uh, specific country had engineered the HIV virus as a type of warfare. Germ warfare. Yeah. Okay. And um, it was experimented or tested in Africa uh, on a village there. And the problem was before the uh, the village could be contained to see what the test results were, a ship from a uh, North European country had to port that was not scheduled to port. 
Okay. And the virus was exposed to the sailors entering port there. And that virus spread because that ship continued to go that was at the time that it was introduced uh, it spread. Wow. So from port to port to port. So if you're saying that the virus was introduced, I mean are you saying that, that these these sailors I mean, they had to have direct contact with the people who were infected with the virus. Exactly. I mean, yes. as in sexual Sex, intercourse. Sexual contact. And these sailors went to other ports and had sexual contact with other right. people. Exactly. And these people. So, well, basically, what what I said. Now, I'm elaborating. I'm I'm not telling you exactly verbatim what it said because anything that's official has specific words. I mean. Any word you use is there for a reason, and can't. It's like a legal thing, right? And uh, but from what I read, and like I said, I scanned it. I didn't read it, and there were several pages of it. I read just enough to know this was not something I needed to the, see. Yeah, this was not in your official duties. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will tell you my clearance. I had top secret clearance. So that was. A former Marine who went by the name Horse when he was on my show all the way back in season one, talking about how he accidentally ran across a document stating that, quote, a particular government, end quote, created the HIV virus. And of course, he wouldn't really you know, elaborate, but I think we, we all know it was probably the American government. Um, but he would not elaborate on that. Now, I apologize for the, the sound quality on that. That was back in my first season of broadcasting. I didn't have uh, the microphones that I've got now. Uh, we were all wearing uh, headsets, headset microphones, and uh, you could hear him <laughs> freaking breathing through through his nose and the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, so I thought that was very interesting. Um, I've never uh, heard anyone who was actually working for the government uh, uh, ever come forward and say that they've seen anything, you know, official like this ever. So, and maybe they have, I'm just saying I've, I've never heard of it. But uh, yeah, I thought that was that was like the first really earth-shattering piece of news, groundbreaking thing that I ever did on the show, and it was all the way back in season one, and it was in you know the first dozen shows that I ever did. So I think I uh, looked up uh, coming across these two guys. It was a great interview. If you want to hear that whole show in its entirety, um, it is available here on Spreaker. It's called. Uh, it's in the. Uh, Live 365 shows. I've, um, it's uh, just look up, you know, Perialty Radio on Spreaker and find the Live 365 shows and look for Open Mic Night because that's that's what I call it. it was just Open Mic Night. So um, you can and that's like a three hour long. We were there was so much interest in that show when it was going on because it was live at the time. And um, 
things were progressing so well. It was such a great show that we extended the show about an hour and we did three hours. So it's a really, really long show, but you can listen to it, you know, on demand here on Spreaker and stop and start it and everything like that as you wish. But if you want to hear that section or that show in its entirety, just uh, go to Spreaker, look up Parareality Radio, the live 365 shows, and uh, look for Open Mic Night. And that gets us to, uh, like, the halfway point. Yeah, that was number 11. So I'm going to, we're, we're got an hour left. We're at the top of the hour. And uh, I'm going to take a little break and uh, <clears throat> for a couple of minutes and get something to drink, rest my voice. And we're going to come back and uh, count down the top 10, Sandman's top 10 all-time conspiracy theories right here live on Spreaker. So I'll be back in just a few minutes, everybody. Enjoy. Do you want to get in touch with the show? Got a comment about tonight's episode? Maybe you have an idea or a topic for a future episode. Email the show at sandman at parareality.com. Leave a message on the studio line at 615-692-1170. Look for Parareality Radio on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Parareal Radio. New episodes aired on the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time online at parareality.com. Turn on, tune in, and find out. Thirsty people everywhere prefer ice-cold Pepsi-Cola. And because it's light, it refreshes without filling. Charlie, be sociable. I am, Kay. Pepsi is a favorite of thirsty people from Maine to Hawaii, from Alaska to Florida. Charlie. It's perfect for parties or picnics, so serve Pepsi to your guests. That's helpful. This is the sociable part. Keep plenty of Pepsi ice cold and ready. Remember, it goes fast because everybody likes Pepsi. Singing still sounds more inviting. May I? Be sociable, not smart. Keep up to date with Pepsi. But singing doesn't say, pick up an extra carton of Pepsi today. Better yet, get a case. You do that. Do you like being scared? Does the feeling of your throat tightening fear leave you unable to scream excitement? If the answer to these questions is yes, then you should listen to Parareality Radio's Scared to Death, Stories of Suspense, Science Fiction, and the Horror. Scared to Death airs the third Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, right here on Spreaker. Tune in for the fright of your life. <laughs> want to get in touch with the show got a comment about tonight's episode maybe you've got an idea for a topic for a future episode email me sandman at parareality.com leave a message on the studio line at 
692-1170. Listen to new episodes of Parareality Radio the first Monday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time online at parareality.com. Turn on, tune in, and find out. All right, I'm back, and I'm going to count down now the top 10 of my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. Well, what'd you think about the new break? Not exactly music. What'd you think about the sponsors of this show, huh? Yeah, I know it's all me, right? So, <laughs> well, you got to do something, right, to give yourself a little break, especially when you're doing a two-hour-long show like this. So um, that's how the break's going to be going um from now on, going to be playing some commercials. So, uh, going to keep it short and sweet, I guess, because it's not as entertaining as music. So, if uh, if if you happen to be out there listening to this show right now or in the future during a a, a rebroadcast or when you when you download it or whatever, and uh, you want to advertise on the show during the commercial spots, get in contact with me. I've got extremely reasonable rates, like dirt cheap reasonable rates if you want to advertise. Um, oh, there's my creepy clock, five minutes late, striking nine. Um, yeah, so get in touch with me if you have a, a, a product, a website, a book, a CD, whatever it is you want to advertise, anything except for uh, drugs, cigarettes, and alcohol. I'll advertise. So, uh, got reasonable rates, and I don't make a dime off of anything for doing this show. Every cent that I make, which really is nothing, I pump back into the show just to keep it on the air. So, if you want to help me keep it on the air, if you want to advertise your website, hell, if you've got your own podcast or radio show that you want to advertise on this one, let me know, man. Get in contact with me. I've got reasonable rates, and we can work something out. Email me, sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or get in touch with me on Facebook, man. Look for Parareality Radio on Facebook. We'll work something out. So anyway, let's get into the, the top 10 of my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. Number 10 is... The New World Order. Now, my friend Isaac Weishaupt, who um, is better known as the Illuminati Watcher, um, he will uh, love this one in the top ten because he is all about some Illuminati. Now, this is the the New World Order is a conspiracy in which powerful secretive groups such as the aforementioned Illuminati, the Bilderberg Bilderberg Group, and other shadowy cabals. Uh, that these groups are plotting to rule mankind with a single world government. Many historical events are said to have been engineered by these groups with one goal, the New World Order, or the NWO. The groups use political finance, social engineering, uh, mind control purportedly, and fear-based propaganda to achieve their aims. Signs of the NWO are said to be the pyramid on the reverse side of the Great Seal of the United States. Inset 
strange and disturbing mural, murals at uh, the Denver International Airport and pentagrams and city plans like Washington, D.C. Uh, international organizations such as the World Bank, the IMF, and the European Union, uh, the United Nations, and NATO are listed as founding organizations of the New World Order. Now, I have been to the Denver International Airport and I have seen these murals. I have taken uh, my picture with these murals. There's a um, th- uh, right at the one of the entrances or exits to the um, the airport is this big um, monument uh, dedication stone or foundation stone, whatever you want to call it, uh, from the uh, uh, Freemasons. Um, that's been purported as being strange. Why would the Freemasons want to do that? Uh, Freemasons do that a lot, actually. Uh, another thing is that the airport is so far outside of Denver that it's not convenient to get to, and it really isn't, dude. It's way outside of Denver. Um, and this just kind of gives rise to the fact that it's so far out that uh, there's all these uh, tunnels and everything underneath it. And it, that's why it's so far out, it's because there's all these, you know, this secret government Illuminati things going on. And I admit it, man, I looked when I was there all over the place for an entrance that said Illuminati HQ. You know, didn't see one. Gotta admit, the murals are really weird. They are beautiful, though. When you see pictures of them and see them on TV and stuff, it really doesn't do them justice. Um, they are freaky. Um, and it really does look like, man, this is like, there's some Illuminati shit going on here with these things. But really, it's it's it, the mural is broken up. It's not all one continuous thing. And if you were actually were to put it all, uh, line them up all together, uh, it actually does have a, a progressive theme. And it has something to, to, I can't even remember what the mural is called. But the guy that painted it, you know, was like, no, man, this is not... There's no Illuminati stuff here. This is, it's about, you know, um, I want to say it's like about oppression or something like that or, or, oh shit, I can't remember. Man, if I even start talking about it, I will totally get it screwed up. So I'm not even going to. But anyway, the guy that says that, that did the mural is like, no, there's no Illuminati stuff, but it does look really freaky. Uh, uh, but anyway, I did not see any, uh, entrances to Illuminati HQ while I was, uh, I was there at Denver International Airport, so I tried. I looked. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. I don't know. I was only there for a short period of time. I mean, just had a, you know, small window of opportunity there. <clears throat> so let's move on to number nine, which is the moon landings were faked. Yep, there are still people who think that the Apollo moon landings were completely faked, that they weren't all that they seemed at the time and these people believe that NASA faked some or even all of the moon landings. Now some of the theories surrounding this subject are that the Apollo astronauts didn't land on the moon at all. NASA and possibly others intentionally deceived the public into believing the landings did occur by manufacturing, destroying, or tampering with evidence including Photos, telemetry tapes, transmissions, rock samples, uh, stuff like that. And that NASA uh, 
and possibly others continue to actively participate in the conspiracy to this very day. Those who think that NASA faked some or all of the landings based their theories on photographs from the lunar surface in which they claim show camera crosshairs partially behind rocks, uh, a flag that was planted by Buzz Aldrin moving in a strange way, or the lack of stars over the lunar landscape and shadows falling in different directions and stuff like that. And many people uh, have published uh, detailed rebuttals to the hoax claims, and these theories have been generally discounted, but belief in them, particularly on the internet, persists to this very day. And I will have to admit, you know, I, I, first of all, I haven't seen every single picture that was ever taken on the moon by, by the Apollo missions, but I have seen a lot of them. And the, the, the famous ones that, which I just mentioned, they do look really freaking weird. <coughs> Very suspicious. Um, but come on, man. Um, if NASA were going to fake pictures, uh, one of the things that they say is fake is, oh, well, when you take the picture there, you can't see the stars in the background. Come on, if NASA were going to fake pictures, I think they would have faked them with stars in the background. You know you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm not smart enough to be able to intelligently speak as to why the stars don't show in the background, but there is a uh, very reasonable explanation for it. And even if you look today at pictures... Uh, of um, from the space shuttle missions or from uh, the International Space Station, it, when it shows space, you don't see stars out there in space. It has something to do with the way the light's refracting or something off our atmosphere or something like that. So, but I'm not as... If John Harrison were here, he would be able to explain it because he's a science guy and he, his brain won't fit through the door. But... Um, I think his days on the show are numbered. He uh, stood me up for Skeptics Night not once but twice this year. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if he ever gets to be back on the show again. Probably not. But, uh, yeah, but anyway, you know, I I think that if NASA were going to fake things, they would have uh, faked them a little bit better than what these people are purporting them to. Uh, the, the big theory behind this, of course, is that Stanley Kubrick directed all the fake footage for the fake moon landings. And if you watch The Shining, he has all of these uh, little hints and clues that um, he was involved in the fake moon landings. And there's there are a lot of references uh, to the Apollo missions in The Shining. And I think that's kind of Kubrick's way of just having poking fun at people by saying, excuse me, look, I know these theories exist, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he's just, you know, having, maybe he was having fun by perpetuating the myth. Um, friend of the show, been on the, a guest on here a couple of times before, I just mentioned him, Isaac Weishaupt, the Illuminati watcher. He actually has a thing, a DVD, and I think a book called Kubrick's Code, and uh, which addresses these issues. And at, at risk of sounding like I'm plugging someone else's stuff, I mean, this guy's a, a a friend of mine, and uh, never met him in person. We're just you know phone friends, internet friends, whatever. We've been on each other's shows. Um, he's been on my show a couple of times. Last month, as a matter of fact, with his Star Wars conspiracy theory. 
Um, but yeah, if you want to uh, really delve into that a little bit deeper, go to IlluminatiWatcher.com and uh, check out Kubrick's Code. Um, you can get it on DVD, and uh, I think there's even a book that goes with it. So a uh, little plug out to Isaac Weishaupt, friend of the show, Mr. Illuminati Watcher. Whew. All right, so get along to uh, number eight. My number eight conspiracy theory of all time is the Roswell Roswell crash of 1947. The event that kick-started more than half a century of conspiracy theories surrounding UFOs is the Roswell crash of 1947. I don't know why I can't say that. Roswell crash of 1947. Something did crash at Roswell, New Mexico, sometime before July 7th, 1947. And at first, the U.S. authorities said explicitly this was a flying saucer or disc as shown by the splash story on that day's Roswell Daily Record. Um, Numerous witnesses reported seeing metallic debris scattered over a wide area and at least one person reported seeing a blazing craft crossing the sky shortly before it crashed. Now in recent years, witnesses have added significant new details including claims of a large military operation dedicated to um, recovering alien craft and alien bodies themselves um, at as uh, many as 11 crash sites uh, and alleged uh, witness intimidation was going on throughout all this. Um, Back in uh, 1989, a former mortician by the name of Glenn Dennis uh, claimed that uh, he was involved in alien autopsies which were carried out at uh, the Roswell Air Force Base. The conspiracy theory has been fanned by the U.S. military repeatedly changing its story on this thing here. Within hours of the Army telling reporters that it recovered a crashed flying saucer, senior officers insisted that the only thing that had fallen from the sky had been the infamous weather balloon. Uh, A report by the Office of the Secretary of the Air Force released in 1995 concluded that the reported uh, recovered material in 1947 was likely debris from a secret government program called Project Mogul, which involved high-altitude balloons meant to detect sound waves generated by Soviet atom bomb tests and ballistic missiles. A second report, released a couple of years later in 1997, concluded that the reports of alien bodies were likely a combination of innocently transformed memories of military accidents involving injured or killed personnel and the recovery of anthropomorphic dummies in military programs like Project High Dive conducted in the 1950s. Now, since the late 1990s, the debate about Roswell has polarized with several former pro-UFO researchers concluding that the craft was indeed part of a U.S. military project and that it was most likely some sort of weather balloon. But further evidence has emerged, notably a signed affidavit by Walter Halt, the Roswell Army Airfield Public Affairs Officer, who had drafted the initial press release on July 8, 1947. Halt says in the affidavit, which was signed in 2002, he said that he saw alien corpses 
and a craft that he had been involved and that he had been involved in a military cover-up. Now, he died a few years later in 2005, so, you know, good luck authenticating this. Um, why would he want to uh, tell a lie on his deathbed? You know, a deathbed confession is what they call it, even though he died, you know, four years later or three years later. Um, why do people do what they do? If, if you'll notice, when it comes to stuff like this, a lot of the people who come forth and finally admit the truth or a bunch of old dudes, some old geezers. And people are like, well, why would they, you know, make this up right before they die? There's They they don't gain anything making anything up right before they die. They're doing it because, you know, they're old and no one's going to come after them and do anything. And if they do, if they do get killed by the government, well, they lived a long life anyway and they knew they were close to the end and blah, blah, blah. All these theories come out as to why these people are, are coming clean. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with leaving some sort of legacy because after all, when everything is said and done, the only thing that people have to remember you by is your name. And everybody wants to leave a legacy. What did they do? Well, if you can, you know, right before you die, if you can say, oh yeah, by the way, all those years when I was saying uh, it wasn't a an alien aircraft and there were no bodies i was lying because the government was making me do it there really was and you know the government's telling you a lie and blah 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 and you can gain some sort of legacy for your name whether what you're saying is the truth or not why wouldn't you you know i mean you're gonna you're old you're gonna die why why wouldn't you that's that's my take on the whole thing that's probably cold and callous but that's the type of individual i am i guess so that moves us from number eight down to number seven. Number seven on my list is the MK Ultra program. That's the code name for Covert Mind Control and Chemical Interrogation Research Program run by the Office of Scientific Intelligence. The program began in the early 1950s, continuing at least through the late 1960s using U.S. citizens as test subjects. Project MK Ultra was first brought to wide public attention in 1975 by Congress and by the Rockefeller Commission. Investigative efforts were hampered by the fact that uh, CIA director at the time, Richard Helms, ordered all MK Ultra files destroyed in 1973. Although the CIA insisted that MK Ultra type experiments were abandoned, CIA veteran Victor Marchetti has stated in various interviews that the agency routinely conducts disinformation campaigns and that the CIA mind control research continued. In a 1977 interview, Marchetti specifically called the CIA claim that MKUltra was abandoned a quote-unquote cover story. Now, conspiracy theorists believe that MKUltra was behind many so-called black ops. Uh, Lawrence Teeter, the attorney for Sirhan Sirhan, the man convicted of the assassination of Robert Kennedy, believed Sirhan was operating under the MKUltra mind control techniques. Uh, furthermore, Jonestown, uh, the location in uh, Guyana where members of the Jim Jones cult and, and People's Temple committed mass suicide, uh, that was thought to be a test site for MK Ultra medical experiments. Now, 
I interviewed uh, another gentleman on this show by the name of Duncan O'Finnan, who claimed that he was the uh, test subject of, uh, or not a test subject, but that he was a a person whose mind was being controlled by MK Ultra. Um, I was going to play some clips from him, but there were so many things that he was talking about. I couldn't just find, you know, one to like cover it all. So I finally just said, uh, just scrap playing a, a clip of him. But um, he's been on the show, I think, a total of three times. Um, his story is very, very interesting. He claims that um, he has some uh, paranormal abilities, some psychic type abilities. Um, that he inherited uh, through his family. Uh, basically, his father was uh, in the government, I believe is how the story goes, and his father had some abilities. The government found out that the son had abilities and basically told the dad, we're going to uh, you know, indoctrinate your son into the black ops program. And they trained him from a child to be a killing machine. Him and other children sent them as children on clandestine missions to use their psychic paranormal abilities to uh, basically kill the enemy. Um, he claims that uh, he has had tracking devices in him. He claims that uh, his, I think it's his right arm, has been somehow made um, bionic, for lack of a better word, by some sort of implant or something like that. He claims that uh, he can get a phone call, Somebody on the other end will speak a secret word, and he goes into MK Ultra Black Ops mode, just like that. And uh, he'll go do whatever mission he needs to do, come back, and have no memory of where he's been, and he's been gone for days. Um, very interesting individual. Um, the last time that I had this is now this has been several years ago, more than several, uh, probably close to ten years ago. No, not ten. Uh, yeah, it's probably been about seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. So that's close to 10. Yeah. Um, anyway, the last time I had anything, any contact from him, uh, somebody had, I think, uh, broken into his daughter's home. Uh, and he thought that it was, uh, maybe had something to do with the MK ultra. Um, there were some people who were supposedly after him. He was supposed to be trying to sell his story, make it into a movie or something like that. And, the government was um, trying to stop it. And he just mysteriously dropped off the face of the planet, man. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he got assassinated or if he's deep undercover or what the hell happened to Duncan O'Finnan. But uh, he's a very interesting individual. I wish I could uh, have played some of the clips. There's just so many, man. Um, I will get one of his interviews up and running in the archives section soon because you, you've got to hear some of this stuff. It's very, very interesting very, very interesting stuff. Oh, let's see. That was number five. That moves us down, or that was number seven, excuse me. That moves us down to number six, which is global warming. Now, some climate change doubters believe that man-made global warming is a conspiracy designed to, I don't know, soften up the world's population to higher taxation, controls on lifestyle and more authoritarian uh, government. Uh, these skeptics cite a fall in global temperatures since last year and a leveling off in the rise in temperatures since 1998 as evidence. Now, I will 
have to admit that when this whole global warming theory first came out, I thought it was bunk. I was like, and I, I think I even mentioned it on the show probably more than one occasion that I thought it was bunk and that I did not believe in global warming. But if you look back historically at the Earth since its existence, as, as, as far back as we can tell through our science and technology, there has been periodic times of warming of the earth and cooling off of the earth it's going to happen it's like a cyclical thing they can kind of predict it and i was saying in the past how i don't you know this is just a normal typical warming up period of the earth it happens um i still stick to my guns as far as that part of it goes i do think that there's a cyclical warming up of the earth and this is probably one of those things but where i have changed my mind is that i now believe that as mankind if everything that we're doing we're not the cause of global warming but we're speeding up the process with all the greenhouse gas emissions that we've got going on and i think you know everything that we're doing now to try to stem it is number one it's not enough number two it's too late um and we're in for some really, really, really rough times, um, probably over the next, you know, century or two. I think the weather's going to be completely jacked up, and we're going to lose a lot of people, and we're going to lose a lot of real estate because uh, of our uh, treatment of the planet. And we really need to be trying to figure out how the hell to terraform Mars quick because um, we're going to need it. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, 30 minutes left in the show, and I got five conspiracy theories to talk about, and I am right on time. I love it. Everything's working out just like it should, except for that one little glitch where uh, my mouse uh, quit working there for whatever reason. But like I said, I got it fixed. It's all under control. It's all good, man. It's all good. So let's get down to the top five conspiracy theories of all time, at least as they fall on my list. So like I said at the top of the show, not all of these may make your list, and I'm sure your top 20 conspiracy theories aren't in the same order as mine, even if they all are on your list. But it's interesting to see where you think these so far 15 theories that I've talked about where they where you think they fall where where would you put them would you agree with me in the order that I put them in or would you put them in some other order let me know let me you know send me an email tell me what you think sandman at parareality.com leave me a message there on facebook that's sandman.parareality on facebook or look for parareality radio do it on the show page or uh, hey Tweet it, man, at Parareal Radio. What do you think your what are your top twenty conspiracy theories of all time? Let me know. So let's talk about the number five. Sandman's top five conspiracy theories of all time. Number five. Hitler survived World War II and did not commit suicide in that bunker. Conspiracy theorists have long argued. Hitler escaped from Germany and fled to South America following uh, 
fellow Nazis Adolf Eichmann and Josef Mengele. Um, <clears throat> two men, Jared Williams and Simon Dunstan, claimed in a 2011 book called Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler, these men claimed that the Fuhrer fled with, with uh, his wife, his new wife, Ava Brown, to Patagonia and had two daughters before dying in 1962 at age 73. Now, supposedly, what really happened was the evil dictator fled to uh, Paraguay via Argentina before settling in a small town in the state of Mato Grosso, Brazil. Um, Hitler said to have used the assumed name of Adolf Leipzig and was known to the 12,000 locals in uh, Nossa Senora there, um, the town that he was living in, uh, as uh, the old German. And there's supposedly a picture of him as an elderly man with his arm around a black woman. Now, I can't remember if that black woman was his wife or was a friend or something like that. But anyway, he was like known as the old German and he would go out and like dig for treasure or some something weird like that. Um and the person that busted him and said, oh, this was Hitler, just uh, so happened to think, wow, this guy looks a lot like Hitler and had a picture of him and drew a little Hitler stash on him and was like, oh, God, that is Hitler. Uh, some weird, crazy shit like that. Now, I did a couple of years ago, I did uh, what I call a summer series. Um, back when I was doing series of stuff during the summer, I don't know why I was doing it, but uh, anyway... Um, I did a series on uh, the Nazis, and one of one of the shows that I did was "Did Hitler Survive World War II?" And up until the time that I did that show, I honestly thought that um, Hitler killed himself in that bunker. And the more research that I did for that show, and the more I started learning about it, the more plausible. It really was that freaking Hitler survived and and left. And then lo and behold, last year or a couple of years ago, uh, it was right. It was right after I did did that show. Did Hitler survive? Uh, it was a few months after. Uh, freaking what was the History Channel comes up with a show hunting Hitler. Now they didn't base it off anything that they, that I did on my show. I highly doubt that somebody some higher up from the History Channel, heard my fucking podcast and said, oh my God, we have to do a TV series on this. I'm, I'm not saying that. It was just a coincidence. That's all I'm saying. But I did it first. Um, but, you know, they had shot that show and probably a year before I did my episode on Did Hitler Survive? I didn't you know. It was just a coincidence. I didn't know. But a lot of the stuff that they discussed on that TV series was shit that I had discussed in my episode, Did Hitler Survive? And it was so, to me, being the uh, World War II Nazi Germany, you know, amateur 
expert as I claim to be, it was so interesting and so cool to hear um, all that stuff that I had talked about a few months prior, uh, to hear them talk about the exact same stuff on the show. I thought that was so super cool. It was almost like I was a consultant. You know, in my mind, I could have been, right? You know, um, but I had nothing to do with it. I, I wish I could take credit for some of that, but there's absolutely no way that I can. But it would be nice if I could, right? So that was number five. Number four, and this should not come as any surprise to any of you who uh, are a fan of this show. Probably the only surprise is that it's not higher up on the list. But number four, chemtrails. Chemtrails did make my top five, but it did not make the top three. Yeah, like right in the middle there. Number four, chemtrails. The chemtrail conspiracy theorists, myself included, believe that some contrails, which consist of ice crystals or uh, water vapor condensed behind aircraft, aren't actually contrails at all, but instead result from chemicals or biological agents being deliberately sprayed at high altitude for whatever undisclosed purpose, right? The the staple of right, right-wing radio shows here in the States, uh, it, well, among us people, there's speculation that the chemicals being sprayed are part of a wider plot that involves the so-called New World Order and is being directed by shadowy forces within the government. The existence of chemtrails has been repeatedly denied by federal agencies and scientists, as of course it would be, right? Now, since approximately 1997 or 1998, thousands of people started noticing airplanes spraying X's, parallel lines, and funky grid patterns all across the skies here in the U.S. Now, these trails initially look like contrails, but they actually aren't. As I said, contrails are condensation trails, contrails. And they happen when hot engine exhaust momentarily condenses ice crystals into pencil-thin vapor trails that quickly vanish like the way behind a vote. Very much like your breath when when you're when it's cold outside and you're talking, you know, and you can see the vapor coming off your breath. Chemtrails, on the other hand, linger for hours and will spread out to form large areas of cloud cover, quote-unquote cloud cover. Test results from chemtrails have uh, come back positive for aluminum, barium, bacteria, funky viruses, human blood, and molds. These chemtrails are being sprayed in our skies. It's in the air we breathe at levels that are deemed to be unsafe. And it's been discovered that barium, magnesium, lead, manganese, aluminum, iron, sodium, and specific uh, conductance, which is the ability of water to conduct a charge, were being found under unusual circumstances in our drinking water supplies. Analysis of aluminum levels in Northern California's Mount Shasta area showed a pond water reading of 12,000 micrograms per liter of aluminum. The normal level 
that's considered safe is five micrograms per liter. Five. So we're talking about over twice the amount of what's considered safe of aluminum being found in pond water. Chemtrails have increased the level by 24,000 times, leaving the water highly toxic. The presence of aluminum in a snowdrift at 8,000 feet on Mount Shasta is 61,100 micrograms per liter. 1,000, excuse me, 122,200 times the normal. That is amazing. This is aluminum we're talking about here, people. Now, readings in other locations have shown similar outrageous levels of aluminum. High levels of aluminum are known to cause bad juju, okay, like Alzheimer's disease. Or if you've got Alzheimer's disease, it makes it worse. Barium, which has also been found in chemtrails, they can contribute to, to a lot of health problems like respiratory difficulties, weak muscles, <coughs> excuse me, heart rhythm abnormalities, elevated blood pressure, digestive disorders, changes in the brain and nerve functioning, and other organ damage. And according to the American Lung Association, asthma is on the rise among all people in the United States and is the leading serious chronic illness among children. Now, it's very likely there's not just one single reason for the chemtrails, but instead there may be multiple goals to this operation. But without public pressure, it's not likely that they'll ever tell us the reasons as to why they're spraying us. A lot of people uh, think that it's some sort of uh, government inoculation program. Uh, there are people who think that uh, it's population control, uh, which kind of goes back to uh, Agenda 21 for uh, the United Nations, um, which coincidentally comes to the other clip that I have that I'm going to play for you here in a minute. Uh, before I do that, I want to address the, um, the thing about what the American Lung Association says about asthma being on the rise and is the leading serious chronic illness among children. I see that almost every freaking day. Um, where I work in the emergency room, we have kids coming in with asthma attacks all the freaking time. All the time. Um, their medication poorly controls their asthma. Um, just the slightest little bitty thing will set their an asthma attack off. Um, even you know younger adults in their their twenties and stuff, all the way up to their twenties, are coming in with asthma attacks. I just see so many asthma things on the rise. And another thing that I see that you can make a stretch that's associated with with chemtrails is as I, I I made mention that uh, it causes digestive disorders. Um, I see uh, the most of anything 
the, the number one complaint that people come into into the ER with in, in this area is abdominal issues. And now the area that I live in and the hospital that I work at is literally a stone's throw from the National International Airport. And we have a ton of chemtrails over the skies of Nashville. Um, I, I could do a whole show on chemtrails because I have more than once. Um, but there's so many chemtrails here. You can, you can almost kind of like, you can look up in the sky and see what kind of day that we're having outside. And you're like, yep, this is going to be a chemtrail day. Um, it mostly happens on bright, clear, cloudless days for whatever reason. And then there's a lot of time on days where, um, it's predicted that we're going to have heavy winds, not storms, but you're just going to have days where you're going to have heavy winds, which happens around here a lot. And on those days, you can pretty much guarantee that there's going to be chemtrails. Um, they spray them and in one area and you just see how it just goes and just blankets a whole separate area because the wind just carries them so far. Um, and my, my personal residence where I live uh, is in a corridor for not only uh, takeoffs or departures, but uh, landings. And I see passenger airplanes fly over my house every day. Now, I mean, you know, they're pretty high up in the sky, you know, uh, but you can hear them, you can see them, you know, quite clearly. You know, it's not, they're not super high, you know, but they're definitely they're 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 pretty close to the ground you know it doesn't shake my house or anything like that it's not something where it's it's an annoyance you know um but you know those planes aren't the ones that are spraying it's the ones that super high up in the air that are spraying these chemicals and i i see them yeah i saw them today it was a pretty clear cloudless day came home this evening and uh what I'll see as I was coming in, pulling up in the driveway, big old X chem trail up off in the air, you know, up over, you know, not Nashville, but it was a, not in the direction that chem trail was, but it was over, it was, you know, in the Nashville area. So speaking of agenda 21, um, once again, if you've been a listener of this show for a while, you know that I've done, um, um, more than one show on chemtrails. Well, I had a guy who sent me a couple of emails and called the show a couple of times, uh, called himself Citizen X. And he left me a few messages, or a couple of messages, a couple of emails. Uh, he's, he's a big chemtrail conspiracy theory guy. And he, he seemed to think that I was on to something. Uh, I haven't heard from him in God knows how long. As a matter of fact, I think the clip that I'm about to play is the last time I heard from him. But uh, this is Citizen X talking to me about um, um, chemtrails and, and his opinion and everything like that. So anyway, this is uh, Citizen X when a, in a message he left to me on the studio line. You may call me Citizen X. I've listened to what you have to say about chemtrails. And I want you to know that you're on the right track, but you must look deeper. Chemtrails are responsible for environmental damage occurring to our planet 
an aerial distribution of toxic metals into the atmosphere. These are not persistent contrails. Agenda 21 is being enacted. Keep paying attention to the skies. Expose the truth. I will be in touch with you again. So that was Citizen X saying how he thought that uh, the chemtrails were uh, part of the uh, United Nations uh, Agenda 21 thing, which I'm not going to get into that because I'm running out of time. But uh, very uh, weird and creepy thing to have someone obviously disguising their voice call up the show and say, hey, I've been listening to what you're saying. Is you know, I don't know, is this guy you know, is he some sort of government agent? Is he a crackpot? I don't know. Haven't heard from him in a long time. Um, that was a matter of fact, that was the last time that I did hear from him. So I don't know. Really weird. All right. So I got 11 minutes to do my top three. All right. Number three, top three, JFK assassination. That's my number three, top of the my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. The 35th president of the United States was shot on a Friday November 22nd, to be specific, 1963, in Dallas, Texas, at 12.30 p.m. He was fatally wounded by gunshots while riding with his wife, Jacqueline Kennedy, in a motorcade. Of course, that was the last time a president was ever seen in a convertible, right? The 10-month investigation of the Warren Commission of 1963 to 64, uh, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations, the HSCA, of 1976 to 1979, and other government investigations concluded that the president had been assassinated by one Lee Harvey Oswald, who was himself shot dead by Jack Ruby while in police custody. But doubts about the official explanation and the conclusion that Oswald was the lone gunman firing from the Texas Book Depository overlooking Dealey Plaza, where Kennedy was hit, surfaced soon after the commission report. Footage of the motorcade taken by Abraham's Zapruder on an 8mm film was, uh, it, it supported the growing belief that at least four shots were fired, not the three that the Warren Commission claimed. The moments of impact recorded on the film also suggested that at least one of the shots came from a completely different direction to those supposedly fired by Oswald. Evidence backed up by testimony of several eyewitnesses. Many believe that several shots were fired by gunmen hiding behind a picket fence on a grassy knoll overlooking the plaza. The assassination is still the subject of widespread speculation and spawned numerous conspiracy theories, though none of these have been proven. In 1979, the House Select Committee on Assassinations found that both the original FBI investigation and the Warren Commission report had been seriously flawed. The HSCA also concluded that there were at least four shots fired and that it was probable a conspiracy existed. However, later studies, including one by the National Academy of Sciences, have all called into question the accuracy of the evidence used by the HSCA to support the finding of four shots. Now, this, as a a friend of mine, I was telling a friend of mine about what I was going to be doing my, my latest show on, and he thought that this should be the number one. And his reasoning was because there's still so much speculation about it to this very day. And 
because this was really what started the modern day conspiracy theory movement. And he's very true in, in that. He's very right and very accurate. This is what started the modern day conspiracy theory movement. Um, there are all kind of books and movies and everything that you can, um, you know, check out about the Kennedy assassination. It won't ever be solved, and there will always be conspiracy theories surrounding it. You know, that's my take. All right, number two. We're down to the top two. My number two is the September 11, 2001 attacks here on the United States, specifically on the World Trade Center. Thanks to the power of the web and live broadcasts on television, the conspiracy theories surrounding the events of 9-11, when the, when the terrorists attacked the World Trade Center in New York, and the Pentagon in Washington, th those have surpassed those of Roswell and JFK. Now, despite repeated claims by Al-Qaeda that it planned, organized, and orchestrated the attacks, Several official and unofficial investigations into the collapse of the Twin Towers, which concluded that structural failure was responsible and footage of the events themselves, um, the, the conspiracy theorists continue to grow in strength. And the milder end of the spectrum are the theorists who believe that the U.S. government had prior warning of the attacks but didn't do enough to stop them, hint, hint, at a la Pearl Harbor, was you know trying to get us into the war. Uh, others believe that the Bush administration deliberately turned a blind eye to those warnings because you know it wanted to get into the to the war in the Middle East to usher in another century of American hegemony. And uh, a large group of people, collectively called the 9/11 Truth Movement, cite evidence that an airliner did not hit, hit the Pentagon, and that the World Trade Center could not have been brought down by airliner impacts and burning aviation fuel alone. This final group points to video evidence, which they claim shows puffs of smoke, so-called demolition squibs, emerging from the Twin Towers at levels far below the aircraft impact zones and prior to the collapses. They also believe that on the, the day in question itself, the U.S. Air Force was deliberately stood down or sent out on exercises to prevent intervention that could have saved the lives of the 3,000 people who were killed. And many witnesses, including firemen, policemen, and people who were inside the towers at the time, claimed to have heard explosions below the aircraft impacts, including in basement levels, and before both the collapses and the attacks themselves. So, as with the aforementioned assassination of JFK, the official inquiry into the events, the 9-11 Commission Report, which is widely derided by the conspiracy community and held up as further evidence that 9-11 was an inside job, um, scientific journals have consistently rejected these hypotheses. Now, I, you know, I find... I find it hard to believe that our government, my chair squeaking, I'm so sorry. I find it hard to believe that our government would deliberately kill 3,000 of its own citizens and plant all these demolition squibs and everything in, in not one but both of the towers. Um, would the government turn a blind eye to you know, a terrorist attack in order to 
propagate its, its, you know, go forward with this agenda of wanting to get into a war to, to gain control of oil? Yes, I totally believe that. But I still have a hard time believing that they would deliberately kill their own citizens. Uh, it, it, you know, you'd have to have a crew of people coming in and planting all these demolition squibs. There's no, I just don't think that there's any way that they could have done that without someone noticing it. You know, I, and I, I can't spend a lot of time on, on this because I'm running out of time on the show. But I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I do not believe that the government deliberately killed 3,000 people. I, I do believe that it's plausible that they turned a blind eye to a terrorist attack, though. All right, so that's 19 of my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. So what's number one? I know you're all sitting on the edge of your seats, especially those of you who aren't listening to the show. <laughs> all right, my number one conspiracy theory of all time is that Jesus did not die on the cross. The theory that launched uh, the blockbuster novel The Da Vinci Code and a film with the same name and a plagiarism battle in the courts with the authors of uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail... Uh, this was a this is to me the biggest conspiracy theory ever um those people myself included who believe in this and it seems that we number in the millions think that jesus married mary magdalene had one or more children specifically a daughter named sarah and that those children or their descendants immigrated to southern france once there, they intermarried with the noble families that would eventually become the Merovingian dynasty, whose special claim to the throne of France is championed by a secret society called the Priory of Sion. Of course, the Priory of Sion has been proven to be fabricated. Uh, the, the theory that Jesus survived the crucifixion, though, persists to this day. And what is more plausible, right, that there's some man who was the embodiment of God incarnate here on earth you know and could perform all these miracles or is it more plausible that he was really just a man although an extraordinary man and that maybe he survived and had children I think the latter really um, if you haven't read Holy Blood Holy Grail you really need probably everyone's read Da Vinci Code but if you haven't read Holy Blood Holy Grail you really need to get this book and read it uh it's a very complicated read. Um, you, you may have to read it more than twice to understand what's going on, but um, you really should read it. And I'm running out of time, so I can't really elaborate very much on anything else, but uh, those are my top 20 conspiracy theories of all time. Number one, of course, is that Jesus did not die on the cross. Well, everybody, that was a quick two hours for me. Whew, everything, man... That just went by so quick. I wish I had a little bit more time. But I digress. I'm running out, right? So I'll just leave you with this. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email to sandman at parareality.com. Um, gosh, just why don't you just go to parareality.com? That's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can... Listen to current and past episodes there at parareality.com. And if you click on the Extras tab, you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum, free to join. 
You can shop in the Parareality Radio store. You can watch some show videos and other stuff like that. Uh, don't forget to look me up on Facebook. That's Sandman.Parareality or just do a, a look for Parareality Radio. You can also listen to the show on Facebook as well. And you can also find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world of Parareality. You can also follow me on Twitter at Parareal Radio. That's at Parareal Radio on Twitter. And I'll be tweeting out uh, announcements like special guests and guest topics and stuff of that nature. Um, all kinds of stuff I'm going to be you know, tweeting out on Twitter. I tweet all the time. It seems, well, not all the time, but I tweet a lot. Um, so, yeah, those are all the different ways you can uh, catch the show um, and all the different ways you can get in touch with me. So there you go. Uh, my next show is going to be on Friday, July 7, 2017 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. Everybody, I hope that this radio program opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, a great weekend, and I'll see you again next month for another episode of Parareality Radio. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.